And what better way for Britain to symbolize that it's a changed nation, it's the nation for the people and for the people of its empire, than by demonstrating that even the princess is serving, is one of the people. Hello and welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. My name is Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and your host. Today is a special episode to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee, which I'm sure we're all enjoying. I'm very fortunate to have a friend of the show return, Tessa Dunlop. Now Tessa is hugely busy and so she kindly agreed to return to discuss the Queen's service in the army during the Second World War and I'm really grateful to her for that. Her fantastic book of last year is now out in paperback and with new material. It's a great work of oral history, as she's written an account of what it was like to serve in the Auxiliary Territorial Service, the ATS, during the war. In so doing, she spoke with 18 veterans of the war during the pandemic. In today's episode, she discusses what it was like to serve with Princess Elizabeth, as she then was, what she got up to, and her courtship with Philip. Now, as a special Jubilee offer... I have a 50% discount on the Aspects of History magazine subscription. Usually at the crazily cheap price at 9.99, but you guys can have it for only £5 if you use the discount code of HISTORY50%. This month we have a piece from Tessa, as well as a contribution from Bruce Clark on the mass migration of people in the wake of Smyrna, which I discussed with Giles Milton last week, and plenty more. It's packed with articles, short stories, interviews and book reviews from the ancient world up to the modern day. Links, the discount code and timings are in the show notes. Finally, if you can subscribe or even give me a nice review, I'll be forever grateful. I hope you enjoy my chat with Tessa on the Queen and the ATS during the war. Tessa Dunlop, welcome back to the podcast. This is special because you're the only person who's had a, uh, a, a an invite to return. I can't believe that. I think I heard Giles Milton twice, didn't I? Uh, no, no, he he's no. only had one one invitation. He no, that's oh, definitely. Okay, well I'll consider that a compliment. It is, it is, and yes. we're doing this because it's the Queen's Jubilee. And more importantly, your book is now out in paperback. It is uh, with additional regal material celebrating the Jubilee, marking the Jubilee, I should really say. And in fact, Daphne, Daphne Atridge, who served in the female army, um, same service as Her Majesty the Queen, and who led the opening of the hardback, rang me from her care home and said, I've got, um, age 98, I've got a copy of the paperback. You've changed it. And I said, yes, that's right. For the Jubilee. She said, I'm no longer at the start. And she was extremely miffed. She had been bumped from the start of the book by Her Majesty the Queen. And she didn't like that. So I have to watch my P's and Q's with Daphne. Well, Daphne's one of my favourites, so I'm I'm upset that you've upset it, her. But but it's interesting. There is a real pecking order. I've just come off um, Sky News actually, where I was commentating on the state opening of Parliament, because of course the Queen has missed it for the first time in nearly sixty years. It's not unprecedented because of course George 
um, the sixth, her father missed it once due to ill health and her grandfather, George V, missed it twice. Um, but there was a sort of a, a lot of focus on her. And, oh, this is quite sudden and the family will be shocked. And I think that's bunkum, actually. Anyone who knows uh, women or men, indeed, um, who are over 95, nothing can be taken for granted. I work extensively with women who are all actually older than the Queen, interestingly, sometimes only just. Barbara's nine months older. She's very proud of that. Um, and when I book an event, I always caveat it with, you know, look, these women may not be able to turn up. And I try and book more than one of them um, for any public event I do if, the, if they're able to come, because so often um, they are, you know, incapacitated um, on the day. And that's called being extremely old. And I think we have unrealistic expectations of our monarch, to be honest, in that context. And in some ways, because she's a very proud woman and I think she feels that, you know, she's an institution as well as an individual, she doesn't want to sort of have the undignified trappings of extreme old age, like a Zimmer frame, because Barbara's like, why don't she use a walking frame? She could scoot up and down the corridors of the palace. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not so regal, is it? Where's she going to put the scepter or, you know, like, so I think there's, um, she's having to get used to it herself, isn't she, the Queen? She is, she is. Now, I, we should probably just explain to, to the very, there's probably one or two listeners who didn't hear your first podcast. But we should just explain. Well, what you've this... only got one or two new listeners since that time, Ollie. I think you need to try harder. No, no, they'll have all have listened back, but maybe one or two <laughs> neglected the Tessa Dunlop episode. That's what it's I was driving at. Millions, millions oh, of listeners. And... Fastest growing podcast. I've got a friend who said my podcast is the fastest growing podcast in Britain. And I said, on what basis do you say that? And he said, well, it's impossible to prove. So That's you should start music. saying it. Music to my ears, it. Tessa. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so your book is an account of 17 veterans. Now, the paperback, I think, has, has got a hot new signing in Gwen. Is that Have correct? you not got a copy of the paperback yet? I've only I've got it on PDF. It hasn't that's a fail. I haven't that's received a the paperback. That's a publisher's fail, isn't it? I'll just go it and is. chase you, Emily. Where were you when we needed you most? Indeed, yeah, because the, one, one of the things that happens when you write about um, an historic service like the ATS, which was the largest female service um, during World War II. It was the sort of female army and it had up to 300,000 recruits, some voluntary, most conscripted. Um, you get a lot of their relatives in the wake of publication contacting you and sort of saying, why didn't you use my mum? And I'm like, well, I had absolutely no idea she existed. You know, with data protection and of course, um, old people invariably not being on social media, they're very hard to find. It was one of the great challenges of writing the book. Um, and one, and I had about 100 of these emails, it's deluge. I needed a PA, I needed some of the Queen's infrastructure to help me deal with it. And um, they were sort of miffed. I felt they weren't even going to buy the book. They were so angry their granny wasn't in it, you know. But anyway, um, one of them, uh, very sweet actually, Maggie got in contact and said, oh, my mum would have loved to have talked to you. And so I emailed her back along with another 100 because I made a documentary for the BBC. It's not been aired yet for various reasons, a radio documentary about the, specifically about the Queen's service, because in the book there's a chapter dedicated to Barbara, who trained at the same place. I call her the Queen. She was obviously HRH Elizabeth back in the day, who trained at the same place as Elizabeth in the Motor Transport Centre in Camberley. Um, and, um, and therefore, I focused on, you know, that relationship between the heir to the throne and um, female military service at the end of the war. But I didn't have anyone who trained alongside her. So that's what I was looking for to do this BBC documentary. And I sent out 100 emails to every one of these disgruntled relatives who wanted to know whether. And I said, look, did your mother um, come across the Queen? Did she train with her? And to my utter astonishment, after I had 99 no's, I got yes. 
Gwen, my mom, trained at Camberley at the same time as Her Royal Highness. So I was like out of the traps. And then, of course, Gwen got ill because she's 98, as you do get ill, as discussed when you're over 95. And so then I had to wait. I was like praying for survival more fervently than um, that, that, than we do sometimes, I think, for our own monarch. Um, she pulled through and I went to see Gwen. I went to interview her. And um, she had some very, I mean, she's a little bit, you know, the memory becomes a little faded in great old age, but she had some very distinct, clear memories. She repeated on a loop about the young princess. Interestingly, Gwen had been in the service for a couple of years before she was sent to Camberley to train in this motor transport corps where they learned the maintenance, how to maintain a military vehicle and also how to drive one. And um, there she met the princess um, and I had some vivid recollections. One was that she was particularly shy um, and reticent about putting herself forward. And it's worth remembering that uh, prior to the Queen um, or the princess um, uh, joining the ATS, she'd been pretty much holed up in Windsor Castle on her own, excluding, of course, her little sister, Margaret Rose. Well, any big sister will tell you they don't count, do they? Little younger siblings, especially when you're sort of 17, 18 and champing at the bit to be allowed um, to have your part in this so-called people's war. And interestingly, I found the paper trail, which was at the National Army Museum. They gave me access to their extraordinary um, archive, all the Queen's military archive is there. And you saw this sort of toing and froing between the ATS and Buckingham Palace. There's tension, if you like, around the idea of the princess partaking in the war, but that being countered by concerns around her safety and also about her exceptionalism, because she's going to be one day our monarch. Um, and we should caveat that with the reluctance of her father, George VI, um, reluctance about her partaking in what he considered, you know, um, unnecessary military conduct. He didn't believe in um, women in uniform. And in fact, when Crawfee, the Queen's or the princess's nanny, said she wanted to join the Wrens, as most girls did, um, he said, don't be so ridiculous. You'll just be asked to serve some grumpy old admiral his breakfast. So Crawfee stayed put. And, and so did the princess. But she carried on pushing and pushing. And by the end of 1944, when the ATS was looking to expand again, interesting enough, although war was drawn to a close because we need auxiliary support controversially overseas for our allied army in Europe. And a lot of parents were very reluctant about sending their daughters or permitting their daughters to go overseas. Eventually, those girls, in fact, had to be drafted in February 1945 to make sure there was enough of them. So a sort of PR sheen was the inclusion of the princess in the ATS. So she finally gets her way and then lo and behold contracts mumps. So has to wait another week or two before she can finally arrive, of course, at the same place as Gwen. The other thing though Gwen remembers is that while they were, I knew this anyway, in fact, because Barbara told me it's kind of, it's quite well known that, that the princess never stayed in barracks, which was one of the sort of defining points or moments in most young girls and most young boys' lives, you know, this communal living, previously they'd been shored up in the sort of domestic arena. And so she really missed out, you get the sense, Gwen remembers the sort of sweeping up the drive in the morning and the evening of, of the royal vehicles, the bottle green, um, were they military? I think they might be military vehicles actually, because I know that the princess um, practiced her driving and got extra driving time by driving from Windsor Castle to Camberley itself to make up for her truncated course, which was foreshortened additionally because of her having mumps. It was also truncated because the Queen, who we later came to know as the Queen Mother, said, well, of course, my daughter already has a brain trained to learn. So the idea was that she didn't need to go through some of the rigmarole other girls did. 
How far is that journey from Windsor to Camberley? Is I've it... got absolutely no idea, but you could pop it in Google and find okay, out. Okay, I'll check that. Oh, no, yeah, I, I never just thought. Because those military vehicles aren't easy. No, well, that was the other wonderful thing about doing this. It was a Bedford, predominantly girls trained in Bedford trucks. And um, the wonderful thing about doing this um, Radio 4 documentary was that I got to actually drive. Can you still hear me, Ollie? I can. Why? OK, good, because it just sounded like something had been knocked out. Um, but I got to drive. It doesn't matter. You can keep that bit in. Tech is such a nightmare, isn't it? I bet the Queen doesn't have a problem with her Zoom calls. Anyway, um, everyone does. Does Everyone does. That's good to know. So um, I got to drive an original model Bedford 1500 and it was an absolute nightmare. I drove it in February. It's quite a nice balmy February day. But I tell you what, they're very exposed those trucks you're right out in the open all elements so you'd have to really dress up warm and it's double d clutch you know there's no I just kept stalling it I found it almost impossible and the steering is really stiff we're so spoiled with modern cars you know and I actually have a ridiculous hybrid automatic so I'm not even used to changing gear anymore it was and then I flooded the engine of course I flooded the engine so we got stuck and the guy who owned the the truck went, oh, don't worry, it always does this. It just takes a minute to cool down. So we wait and we wait. And I'm like, oh, God, what have I done? You know, and it's his lifetime's hobby, maintaining this Bedford truck. It was down in Romney Marsh, actually. And um, eventually uh, we fired it back up. But he insisted on driving it back to base himself. Obviously, he decided that it had enough of me, you know, damaging his ancient gearbox. So it's I'm not going to comment about that. But, but you've got to remember that, that when these girls were training, they also trained were trained in the maintenance of the vehicle. That was a big part of it. And a lot of, the other thing that Gwen remembers at, in this time of being alongside HRH, uh, that there would be press visits. And I think most of us have seen those photographs of Elizabeth, you know, tinkering with spanners and uh, working under the bonnet of, a, of an army truck. And uh, Gwen recalls that while she was quite reticent and shy around her peers, because, of course, she wasn't really used to being among her peers. She'd been, as mentioned, tucked away in a castle. Um, she was very sort of a fay with the press. So while all the other girls were sort of giggling and getting used to the idea of bobbing in front of the visiting king and queen for this, you know, press moment. And Margaret turned up as well, actually. The queen was like totally cool with it because she's obviously, oh, well, she's princess. She's princess. was totally cool with it because like she was like, well, she knew what she was doing in that context, didn't she? Uh, so I, I was reading about this because it's quite funny. Doesn't um, she's dismantling the engine in front of her proud dad. Um, but George the sixth and then he doesn't he sort of start interfering and, and messing the whole yeah. thing up yeah I think he nips off um off the defibrillator no the defibrillator is something somebody uses for a heart I can't yes, remember my right. mechanical technology carburetor or something I don't know something like that's it yeah I, need to go to that I should have read that chapter again since I've already came on but yeah he nips off one of the ends I think you know so that but this is it was very frustrating, I think, for Elizabeth. She was apparently peaked at the time because they go through these tests. You have to take apart an engine and put it back together again. And they all have a ground sheet. And they take all the fan belt and everything is placed out in front of them and then have to put it back. And actually, if you've got your dad interfering, it's just, oh, do you know what, mate? But um, that happened. And he obviously found it very amusing. Um, and you, you, you're aware. And when I was looking at the paperwork that shuffled between the service and the palace in comparison with what was involved for getting other girls into the service, literally shoehorning them in so long as they passed the medical and didn't have too many nits, you know, in they went. You know, it's quite extraordinary the control other people had over the princess's life. She was like a pawn in a big PR game, really, a sort of tussle between um, the ATS 
and Buckingham Palace. And what called it, because I mentioned the King was reluctant about his daughter going into uniform, was the cabinet, you know, wanting it. So um, in the end, but it's a very, very brief moment where she gets to be alongside her peers. And as mentioned, it's not um, entirely the same. She doesn't do gas training. She doesn't do the dreaded physical education that they're forced to do in the horrible little slug coloured shorts and it would hardly be dignified would it for a future monarch um, and uh, she's roars in and out in a, in a vehicle back to Windsor she also eats separately because she's immediately promoted onto so 15 miles by the way sorry to interrupt 15 you. well it yeah. probably did take nearly an hour to be honest yeah in one I would of those have trucks. So. By the time she stalled it, you know, so she initially does all her early, early training, getting used to the gearbox and things up on blocks in the nursery garden at Windsor. So the very early training, which the other girls would have done at Camberley, she does separately in Windsor. And she's given the very best trainer, in the opinion of the ATS, the very best driving instructor. And then they come in um, to do this final bit in the sort of teamwork. But she doesn't lunch with the ordinary girls because she's accelerated. So she lunches with the, in the officer's mess um, separately. So she has this sort of hybrid experience, which for her would have been, you know, being in the thick of it. But compared to others, was um, foreshortened and curtailed. And Barbara and Gwen, who both obviously, Barbara trained um, in 43 in Camberley and Gwen who trained alongside her, did feel a, a degree of pity. Now the Queen's not somebody who's ever encouraged pity, but a sort of feeling that she did miss out. And I definitely working with all these women, um, it was a hugely formative, important part of their life. Yeah, we know all the sexism that was inherent in their role and how they were non-combatants and they weren't paid the same. But they were the product of a very traditional society and they just grabbed with both arms onto what was available, not what wasn't, if that makes sense. And they absolutely loved it and felt that, you know, retrospectively in deep old age, this was something that had been proved personally transformative, even if there wasn't a big sort of feminist watershed at the end of World War II, far from it, in fact. But the Queen missed out on that, our future Queen. You know, she's had a very short experience, just as George VI wanted, you know, ticks the box, can say she served, but doesn't actually, you know, have to do much more than that because the end of the war strategically, I mean, by Christmas, when the, this whole conversation begins, they know the war's um, going to end any moment. She's given an honorary promotion to junior commander by the July of 1945. And symbolically, I've just been watching, as I said, that state opening of parliament, and it's so important, all the symbolism, that's what the monarchy's about. It's not really about the individual. And um, I think sometimes we lose sight, sight of that in our soap opera, um, our current, you know, the way we like to sort of, you know, pick around their emotions and personal lives. But it's actually so much more. It's about this sort of institution. And symbolically, you know, it's like taking on the conversation from Elizabeth I, who says, you know, I'm, you know, I might be have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but, you know, I have the stomach for, of, of a king, you know. But, well, but she didn't serve. She gave that rousing speech in the face of the Spanish Armada. She didn't actually wear a uniform and serve. The first female member of the royal family to do that was Elizabeth II when she was 18 in Camberley in 1945. So it might be not the equivalent experience other girls had, but it was hugely symbolically significant. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to um, ask you about was could the Queen or Princess Elizabeth as she was at the time and her relationship with Prince Philip, because there's a sort of a a, a, um, a comparison with uh, Barbara and Stan as well, where they're writing to each other, both yeah. men are in danger. And That's I, right. the reason why I mention this is I watched Atonement the other day. I don't know if you've seen that. 
and it's it's huge it's very sad I, is I that the sebastian Falks? but based on the sebastian Falks book atonement no it's the it's ian, McEwen, song. ian McEwen. i've read the book i hate movies of books i love i tend to try and avoid yeah i them. haven't read the book uh i've read the book atonement but I, i'm getting it muddled with bird song oh no i do know atonement it's dunkirk it's, 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 it's a that's very good right. scene of dunkirk uh, that's right movie, absolutely which I recommend. Then, yeah no but it's not um, as good as the book i know it won't be but anyway i do know exactly the book you're talking about I've read Ian McEwen, so yeah. don't worry. You're culturally you're culturally inferior to me, Ollie. What can you do about it? Well, you I've read mortal. some of his before, and I don't think but, they're um, very good, actually. But I'm, anyway, um, uh, anyway, I'll cut anyway, that. the film. No, keep that bit. Don't cut it. If you cut that bit, you're less of a podcaster than I thought you were. You got um, to keep those chewy bits in, Ollie, to keep your listeners okay, fascinated, okay. to develop opinions about contributors and about you. They may dislike me, but it might not mean that they stop listening. Well, I think it's a very good story, Atonement. Um, yeah. So I'll give him points for that. But I've read a couple of his novels before and I find his female characters a bit rubbish. OK. But what do I know? What do you know? That doesn't surprise me. It's Ian McEwan. But you were going to make a point. Gonna uh, make I was going to say that, yes, it's a there's an, a very emotional relationship between it's a tragic story and is in no way in comparison with Barbara. It's a love story, that. isn't it? It's a love story. Yeah, it is. And yeah, he, but he, he's away and in danger and she, you know, and it just makes you think of the sacrifice that that generation, you know, that all their lives were turned upside down. Um, yeah, I mean, that's true. Joining the ATS, conscripted. Absolutely true. What's interesting about Elizabeth and Philip's relationship is that what well, she first meets him when she's just 13, just before the war. He's a naval cadet. I think they're down in Plymouth, this sort of royal family on a visit. And there is this loose contact through the war. Few letters are exchanged, particularly towards the end of the war. He does remember he's a sort of prince in exile. He never has a real home. So he rocks up and stays at Buckingham Palace occasionally. And she clearly has the hots from him. I mean, what teenage girl wouldn't have the hots for a dashing prince, blonde, pretty good looking in uniform. I should say, and I didn't put this in the army girls, but I found it later in my Bletchley girls book. And I was reminded by the Bletchley girl herself, who in fact died sadly, aged 103. So not really that sad, God bless her soul. Pamela Rose, she was a debutante. She served at Bletchley Park. And she says during the war, she worked alongside Osler, what was her name? Osler Henneker Major, nay Benning frightfully glamorous pretty sexy girl and there's a picture of actually one of the Bletchley Park picture books and she's sort of wearing a, a fur stole and and cutting quite a dash and was also a debutante she was dating Prince Philip during the war okay so while there was this ongoing relationship or, or letter sort of correspondence with the future queen remember she was just a little teenager sweet little thing and but and philip was a full-grown man you know he's going to risk his life and limit sea and no doubt wanted to come back to a sexy woman when he was on leave and he had that sexy woman so i think it's worth remembering that they were at slightly different stages of their life philip and elizabeth but obviously there was a leveling out period at the end of the war and this eventual decision that you know she, she absolutely was smitten with him from the get-go and had a had a picture of him on her mantelpiece that she was told she had to take down because hadn't been sort of signed off the idea of her marrying him and we know from her father you know her uncle you know uh, future sovereigns can't always choose who they want to marry but the, one of the reasons it was so problematic was actually after the um after the war british troops were involved in the greek civil war and um, in order for the Queen or the future Queen to marry Philip, he has to be a naturalised Brit. But that means he's got to relinquish 
his role within the Greek royal family. And there was a sort of one school of thought said, well, that, you know, if he does that, it looks like we've got no confidence in the Greek royal family. And on the other hand, it looked like they were supporting the family by supporting Philip. And it was decided this would have to wait, this decision as to what to do until after the Greek royal plebiscite in 46. And even then, um, after his naturalisation, I think, had taken place, there was a feeling there still had to be more waiting because it might be seen as a vote of no confidence in the Greek royal family. And, and then, of course, there was George the George VI, who was only too pleased that his daughter um, was going to have to wait because he really liked being with his little four and didn't want to relinquish his peaches and cream daughter into the hands of this debonair prince who we know had a saucy woman in another. I mean, for sure, I'm sure Philip would have relinquished her for the true love of his life that was Elizabeth. But let's not pretend, um, you know, he was innocence personified because he wasn't. I had no idea about any of that. Is it well, in The Crown, the TV show? No, it's in my book, The Bletchley Girls. Ah. It's not in The Crown. I'll, I'll put that link I'm, in as well. I'm a proper historian, Ollie. I know. I get stuff from The Crown. I get it from Living Relics. Otherwise, no, no, I, 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 I wasn't she, suggesting you were using The Crown as, <laughs> as your source material. I was first of all, dear listener, first of all, we've had The Atonement. I watched the film blunder, which Ollie's going to have to keep in now because I'm going to keep mentioning it. So it'll just be an edit nightmare. And now, secondly, we've had you referring to, to comparing my historical empirical research with the crown. Forsooth, dear Lord. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Right. Now, um, we also have just had an anniversary because we're speaking uh, bef just before the Jubilee. But this is what this podcast yeah. is about. But um We've just had VE Day and mm -hmm. Princess Elizabeth, as she were, then was, um, was was bugging her dad to get out of the um, being on the balcony and go down and celebrate with all the uh, the people That's down right. below. In fact, it was a great joy to, when you follow. I So there's 17 women in the army girls and I learned from writing two other oral history books. By the way, one of the things that really annoys me the most, and I'm sure most writers have this, is the book you feel is your best is always the one that sells the least because it doesn't have the popular hook. So I think in many ways, my best book is Century Girls because it isn't tied to World War II nostalgia in the same way. It doesn't sell as much. But I kind of got the hang of how to follow women's narratives, personal narratives, without the reader becoming confused, which I think um, happens occasionally in Bletchley Girls. By the time I reach Army Girls, I know that some of them are going to be supporting characters and others I'm going to major on or focus a full chapter on. Um, and one of the problems is with, with this is you're fitting these individual stories into an overarching narrative, which is the war, basically. And Joyce is a great character, also a driver, but in fact a fanny, a first aid nurse in yeomanry. And I knew she had this wonderful story about being, you know, down below the palace, doing the Lambeth Walk, you know, waltzing along Piccadilly, climbing lampposts, having a hoolie on VE Day and seeing the princess in her uniform on the balcony. But I couldn't wedge it into the narrative because in the Army Girls, by the time I got to the to VE Day, I was out in Italy and, and kind of following other, other women. So by coming back for this Jubilee edition, I'm able to put Joyce's kind of moment into the preface. And it's a reminder of, again, the symbolism of that princess. Yeah, she didn't fight per se she served she wore the khaki uniform and this is about by this stage winning the peace and what better way for britain to symbolize that it's a changed nation it's the nation for the people and for the people of its empire by then by demonstrating that even the princess is serving is one of the people we know she's not 
but there is that wonderful tension between the symbolism and the reality and, and and she absolutely encapsulates that and what's interesting is a lot of I talked about a lot of my old women getting a bit miffed because the queen gets all the attention but they're also really pleased that for the last 70 plus years she's represented them and their unsung story you know she ties us back to the blitz she ties us back to Churchill she ties us back to female service in a way that nobody else could and because she's gone on for as long as they have you know, it's given them a great sort of fillip in, in later life. Great. Absolutely. Well, Tessa, thank you very much for this. It's been fantastic. Can you uh, hear? Because I've got this, um, uh, you, know, I, you know, on other podcasts, Ollie, you get sent things like swanky headsets. We'll know when um, the Aspects of History podcast is really successful because you'll start sending us headsets with inbuilt microphones. To my astonishment, I did one yesterday. It's presented by that Alistair McGann. Obviously, he didn't ask me the questions and Minion asked me the questions. And um, I, hope, I hope she won't mind being called that. But you know what I mean? Rather than the presenter coming in to present, somebody else was piloted in. And um, and I was really enjoying this headset, thinking, oh, it's going to be you know, a hardship to send it back. And they said, oh, no, 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 you can keep it. Like, yeah, oh, they, they don't it. want it back because it'll have earwax and stuff in it. They don't want to share that. Well, I've done one for the history, mag you know, the BBC history magazine, and they sent me a microphone and I had to post that back. And I was very, oh, really? I was very sad to let that go. Yeah, that well, felt like a loss. Uh, I'll, yeah. I will definitely cut the bit about aspects of history not sending a... a no, you won't. If any of this is cut, I'm never coming back on your show. I've given you tidbits on Prince Philip's former love life. God bless his soul. And uh, also, if you're going to tell everyone that I trained at the, the beginning of the podcast, you'll notice an incredible improvement in Ollie's performance because I told him he had to start scripting what he writes. What kind of broadcaster gets away with ad living unless they're Piers Morgan? And look what his Times TV is doing at the moment. And I bet it's scripted anyway. Anyway, that's my piece for the day. Any, any other thoughts before we sign off? Oh, Army Girls, let's just tell everyone. Yeah, it's the new paperback, new yeah. material. Uh, we have it's an 18th veteran. <laughs> And can you, an 18th veteran, and also I'm just going to say this, there is, and a lot of, I think the people who listen to your podcast will understand this, the compromises of working with commercial publishers means that you have to use things like the word girls in a title because you're aiming for a certain mark, your biggest market is a nostalgia market. But actually, the book is brilliantly written despite that title, isn't it, Ollie? Absolutely. Yeah. I've read it twice almost now. He's twice. You see, he knows it off by heart. It's a bit like the scripts at the beginning of his podcast. Can't believe I've just said my own book is brilliant. But, you know, if nobody else says it, you've got to say it for yourself, don't you? Really? It is. It was one of my uh, picks of 2021. It was. You know, it was, the, it was the feminine touch of Aspects of History magazine. How many female members do you have now? Am I the token girl? We've just signed three more. Wow. OK, great. We're doing very well. There you are doing well. OK, well, I shall leave you in your bastion of masculinity you've got sort of I see a dark green walls it looks very regal and pictures of men on horseback so I shall leave you with uh, that backdrop it's a pity this isn't television really and see you soon Ollie thank you very much right so to celebrate the Queen's military service you can enjoy a big 50% discount as I mentioned at the start have a look at the show notes where you'll also find a link to Tessa's book coming up we have Gavin Mortimer He's the biographer of the so-called founder of the SAS, David Sterling. And our chat is very interesting as Gavin explodes some myths. We also have Damien Lewis coming on soon to talk about the amazing story of Josephine Baker, the African-American actress and French resistance agent. If you can subscribe or give me a nice review, I'd be so happy. 
If you can subscribe or give me a nice review, I'd be so happy. But for now, thank you and good night.